It is now my pleasure to welcome to St. Pius and Cedar Rapids, Ms. Immaculate Ilibagiza. Technician can help. <laughs> hello, hello. Can you hear me better? No? No? It's on. Hello, hello. Much better? Oh, good. <laughs> Thank God for technology. <laughs> Thank you so much. Wow, it's so beautiful to see so many of you. It's really a great joy. When I see you, I see you as my friends. So I have many friends here, and I'm so happy to be to be among you. Thank you for inviting me, for wanting to share a story that comes from so, so far away in Rwanda, far away in Africa, and this little area in the country. I, have nev I would never have thought about I would ever have this chance to, to share. But it is so funny. When I was hiding in the bathroom, I still remember the time when I was praying to God, and I would ask him, I wish I can tell people, I wish I can find people, I can tell them how real you are and how the, the power of the rosary, how, how real you can be in a time like this. And of course I would think, oh nice, I'm going to die tomorrow. So it won't happen. <laughs> but I would be taken by that fire of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I wish I can find people. So anytime I see you, I feel like God really answer prayers. And it is a joy to share faith. The genocide was a horrible, was a horrible story, was a horrible experience to go through. I would never wish anyone to see what I have seen. But the lessons I have learned are invaluable. And among those lessons are the power of love. If a genocide happened in our country, it's because we failed to love one another. If the Holocaust happened, it's because Hitler and his partners failed to love people. So that really have brought me back to listen to God more because our Lord have taught us what is the greatest commandment? Love God above because he's only one who doesn't change, who is there forever. People, we love our children, they can go. We love our parents, they can go. So it is really God who is completely there, will always be there. And to love one another. If we don't love one another, a genocide can happen. You have seen damages of no love. And many times when we love each other, we take it simple, like, oh, that's simple. But when love is not there, that's when you see the horrible thing can happen. Maybe you have seen families breaking. You have seen friends breaking. Why? Because one doesn't love the other and then betray each other. And then when you see the pain that comes out of that, that's when you know, oh my gosh, the power of love. The smile you smile to each other, the compassion you show to each other, the time you take to listen to each other is really that important. And I'm so grateful for people who invited me here. I know in Rwanda we say that it takes a village to grow a child, <laughs> but here I think it takes a village to bring a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really do. I am really grateful. And that's what I love to want to show all of you, to share a story that maybe touched their hearts. So I'm very grateful. Another big lesson I learned was a power of forgiveness. I used to think, you forgive somebody who said something bad about you, but not somebody who is trying to kill you. And I was crippled by that belief in me. I went through pain, so much pain, because I believed I had a good reason to be angry. But who was suffering? It was me who was taking in that poison in my body. I reached a time I went on my knees and I begged God, help me. I don't even remember how to smile because of my anger. Maybe you hate one person. I hated eight million people. It was a lot. <laughs> so my body was decaying, but I felt I had a good reason to hate them. But again, who is suffering? When forgiveness came in, it wasn't what I thought. This is funny. When we think about forgiving somebody who hurt us, we think we're offering them a gift. Oh, you hurt me, now I give you a gift. Oh, you hurt me now, I make you right, and then I'm wrong. And there is always like this confusion in my, our mind that if we forgive, then we, we do something good for the person who hurt us. But it is really for you. When forgiveness came in, it felt like peace. It felt like love. It felt like freedom. And it didn't change nothing about the facts. And it didn't make me have to go out and let myself be killed by people who want to kill me. Instead of hating them, wishing them bad, I started to pray for them. And prayer is much more powerful anyway than hate. It can change them. So it was just like these changes I was going through. I'm like, wow, I never thought about that. But when it happened, it felt right. And I'm here to tell you, anybody can forgive. Anything can be forgivable. It is how we see it. Another big lesson, maybe not a lesson, maybe it was a gift. I knew, but I didn't really conceive it the way I came to conceive it. A big gift I received was to know without a shadow of doubt that God is there. I might not understand how he works, why things happen this way, why he did this, but for sure he is there. I am never alone. I can bed, I can be in bed, I can be walking, I can be in trouble. God is with me. And he has much more a bigger picture. He knows so much more than I know. Oh, my job is to trust him that he knows better. So that was such a gift. And when that I got it, it was like my body's changing. It feels much happier. So, and I have seen it in my life continuously, you know, when you go through different, you know, different situations. And I hold on to prayer, and I hold on to God. And I tell him, I don't understand, I don't understand. But please, just hold me strong in your arms. And in the end, you come out, you say, when you look back, he was there. He was in my situation. Many times we don't see it when it's happening, but when you look back, and you have done your part to pray, to hold on to him, to confess, to clean your heart, because when our hearts are not clean, it's like a shadow we put between us and God's grace. And when we can apologize, confess, apologize to God, things really happen in a clear way that you see he was there. Anyway, coming back to my story. And by the way, I have been, I'm really happy to be here because of so many people who tell me my story touched them. I remember one lady I never forget, among thousands of people, one lady especially, she came to my talk and she told me, she had heard me speak before, and she said, 
after I heard you speak and I came to tell you this, I went home and I called my mom I have not spoken to. Her mother, she have not spoken to in 20 years. And she said, after I blow up, I just walk away, I never look back. And when, after I heard you, I went home, I pick up the phone, I called her and we cried and we laughed. And she said, just like that, it was gone. And she said, I cannot believe how much affection I have wasted for being mad at my mom. How much affection I prevented my children to have from their own grandmother because of my own anger. And she came, of course, there to thank me. I, well, it is really to thank God. It is the grace of God that touched my heart that I share. And I believe and I pray that the same grace touches each one of you because we all have our own troubles. We all have people who anger us, and we have people we do anger. So by that grace of God, I pray that he touches you. Another man told me that, he said, after I read your book, I heard you speak for the first time in 54 years. I was angry with a family member who hurt me badly when I was a child. He said, for the first time, I was able to sleep in peace. He didn't say forgive, but I knew what he meant, and you can imagine what he meant. I was able to sleep in peace. I just put it down. So I pray that the same grace that touched me, that touched so many people I speak to, and they shared that, that really actually helps me, those stories, help me to keep me the strength, to keep going, because if this story is not doing anything good, it's done, my work is done. But if it is still doing and touching just one person, it is all enough. So during the genocide, I was a student in college, and I was home for Easter, Easter holiday when it all started. And I forgot, it was on the 7th of April. My brother, who had just finished his master's degree, he came to my room and pushed the door around 6 in the morning. And he was also home for the holiday. I mean, all of us were all in a boarding school. We were home for the holiday. My dad was a director of Catholic schools. My mom was a teacher. So he came, we were all home for the holiday, the, the Easter holiday, one week we had. So he pushed the door and I saw him. I remember he had a jacket and a belt and a stick in his hand. And then he said, you are still sleeping. You don't know what happened. I said, what happened? He said, the president of the country died last night. I remember jumping out of the bed and screamed to him, oh my God, they went to kill us. And he said, why? I'm like, don't you see? It was like a movie went through my mind, like right in my face, how everybody will die. And the funny part was, something inside of me was saying, what am I going to do without everybody? And then I would beat myself, no, I'm going to die with everybody because I am in the tribe too. But after that, it will go away, the same mind will come, and something will tell me, what am I going to do when everyone is dead? I won't have anyone. I'm like, what am I thinking? That I can survive when everyone is dead? But it was just like, almost like uncontrollable in my mind. So I dressed in front of him, and we went outside. And why I really thought it was just like going to be so bad, in Rwanda, we were prepared. We had warnings. You know when we go through something horrible, I think God prepares us. Many times we don't like to hear, you know, to pay attention to his warnings, but he does. One warning we had, there was a radio that was created for two years. And the journalists on this radio, this radio was founded by the leaders of the country who were preparing a genocide. So on radio, 
The journalists, they will act like they were drunk so they can give horrible messages, so they can inspire people to kill and hate each other. So they will say things like, those people, they are not human beings. Do you see them? They, they have horns, they have tails, and they will laugh. They will say nasty jokes in, in that radio, which was never said on radio, and they will act like they are drunk, like, give me whiskey, give me scotch, and they will drink right on radio, so people didn't hold them accountable to what they were saying but they knew what they were doing. To a point where our friends were like laughing at us because they're making fun of us all the time. It was never between people, it was the leaders who wanted to push people to hate each other so they can get what they want to eliminate this group of people who might challenge them in their, in their power. Another beautiful thing that really, really, I love it, that prepared us was the apparitions of Our Lady, the Blessed Mother. Maybe some of you know about Lourdes, Fatima, Mexico, Our Lady of Guadalupe. The Blessed Mother appeared in Rwanda 12 years before the genocide in a place called Kibeho. And this apparition, by the way, had been approved by the Vatican in 2001, which made it the first apparition to be approved on the continent of Africa by the Catholic Church. So we are very blessed to have that. I was a child, I grew up with that apparition. And one of the main message Our Lady gave us, she said, a horrible thing is going to happen to us, to our country, if we did not come back to change our hearts, to love one another, to forgive one another, as everybody, as human beings that God created us in each one of us in his image. See everyone as image of God. If you don't, this is what is coming. She showed the children in high school, she appeared to, people killing each other with machetes, holes with dead bodies, river of blood, and she cried as a mother. And the kids were saying, no mother, this can never happen here, this can never happen here. Our lady said, it doesn't have to happen if you listen to me. Pick up your rosaries, pray from the heart. Those who pray different ways, Go and pray from your heart so that you can pray for this country. And one big lesson for me with that is that if we pray, we can change our future for the best. Our prayers really mitigate a lot of troubles that can come to us in, in our lives. But obviously, in Rwanda, we didn't listen. But beside that, what Our Lady really told us more than even the genocide was to show us how much she loves us how real she is. That is what I took more than anything about it. I do give retreats about Our Lady of Kibeho. She is such a loving mother. She brought Christ alive. She brought herself alive as a mother who, who loves us, who will just smile with you, who will joke with you. She was so beautiful. And I wrote a book about this, Our Lady of Kibeho. Anyway, she predicted the genocide. We knew it can happen, but we knew we can change it. So when my brother told me, I knew this is what Our Lady said. And she has said it will be bad. But also she said, no matter how bad this country will go, this little country will rise again, and it will be the new Jerusalem. Because God has allowed me to come to touch this country. So there is hope, and really things have been going really good in Rwanda today. So we met my parents, I'm still this morning on the 7th of April, we put on the radio, we're trying to capture what is what, what's going on. I remember two hours later, 
the government, BBC, BBC Radio reported 18 families that were killed. 10 children, mom and dad. Eight children and mom and dad have been killed by the government, you know, soldiers, police. And I remember my father saying, this never happened before, where they killed the whole family. This is strange. Well, that's why they call it a genocide. The genocide is an attempt to eliminate a whole group of people. So they have prepared it. They knew, and many people believe, they killed the president. He can be just a sign and you know, a reason now to say, oh, you killed our president, let's kill you. He was killed by his own people who have prepared everything. And they knew if they kill anyone, when the president is alive, he would not allow them to do it because the world will blame him. So it was a cleansing, let's remove everybody. So by the end of the day, I remember we had so many people around my home, people coming to my parents, asking them what to do. By the second day, we had about 10,000 people. To the door of my parents, up to the soccer field where my mom was a teacher, like two minutes away from home, everywhere was children, men, women, people starting to cook there, it was sad. And the people came home, again, that was another thing that told me about love, how important that is. My parents were people who cared a lot about everybody, and I'm so grateful I have had parents who really showed me strength in love until they died. So people came there because they trusted my parents. I remember my parents, the things they used to speak about on our dinner table was always about a child who don't have money to go to school, of a neighbor, not our family, anybody. A family that don't have a home, they are poor. How they can raise money and help them and call other men in the village and go to help them you know, build the house. It was always those kind of things. And as children, we didn't like it. We wanted new shoes, new clothes. <laughs> but they were talking about who next to help. And that really stuck with me because it was when the genocide started that I said, how these people know that actually my mom and dad really care about them? How are they coming here? They knew. I mean, it's so funny. I remember in my country it was allowed <laughs> to spank children. But I remember in my home, we used to have like, my neighbors would come home with their children for my dad to spank them for them. <laughs> Literally. We would have a long line of parents and children to spank them for them. And I know now why. My, pa my father, he was the one who was spanking. <laughs> he never spanked any child out of anger. It wasn't to hurt them, it was to correct them. And he would, you would do something in the morning, he invite you in the evening, give you an appointment to spank you. <laughs> and then when you met, he, you would talk about what happened. Why your parents are not happy, why it is wrong, why the wrong is wrong, how the wrong can grow and become bad and affect your future and affect the whole family and affect the whole village and the whole country. At the end, the kids will want to be spanked <laughs> as long as you can remove all those consequences. And he will show them if they change the character or the bad thing they do, the best they can be and what they can become. If they become people of character who help more than being mean, who are kind more than doing bad, disobey their parents, if they obey them. So the children, until my parents died, we would have people who would come home to bring them a gift. 
who have had like a big jobs and somebody will say, do you remember me when I was 10 years old? You told me this and I followed and now I became somebody. It was just, they loved him for that, for spanking them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the last images I remember of my parents, right there on the second day, everything to have started. I remember my father stood in front of people. I'm a Catholic and I come from a Catholic family. He had the rosary in his hand, and he spoke to everybody who came from different religions, but they, love, they knew he's telling them what he believed to be true. So he stood in front of them, and he had the rosary in his hand, and he spoke so loud, and he said, if it is a matter of a small group that want to kill us, that is causing this trouble, we will defeat them. We are strong men and women. Be not fearful. Be strong, we will defeat them. But he said, if it is a government, I cannot lie to you. If they are the ones who prepared this, they already blocked the borders. They shut down every activity in the country. They are going to kill us. I don't know who is preparing this, but if it is the government, they will kill us. They have enough people. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, that's the news you're giving people? And then he said, if it was the government, even if it was the government, do not be fearful. Let's take this as a chance God is giving us to repent our sins so we can go to heaven. Like we're supposed to be happy, we're going to die, and then just go to heaven. But even if I was scared, I remember everybody went quiet and started to repent. I was. For like five minutes, everybody was praying. Oh my God, forgive me, I, everything, anytime I didn't listen to my mom, I had to ask for forgiveness, anything I have done, just God help me in case I'm dying. And after a few minutes, everybody started to talk. And I remember my father came to me. He handed me the rosary he had, and he asked me to go to hide. I didn't want to go. He, he asked me to go to a neighbor who was from the other tribe that was not the target. He asked me to go there. I didn't want to go. I thought, what if I go, something happens to them, like I can change anything. I remember he said, I cannot worry about people and worry about you. I was the only daughter he had among three boys. Even my brothers, they wanted me to go. My mom wanted me to go. Like, the boys can run, but you can't. Just go now. And I truly left home out of obedience to my father. I was angry that he had to push me to go. But I left, I said, okay. He said that I'm going to go just respect him. As I'm leaving, he handed me the rosary. It is the only thing I left with. In that moment, it was so clear in my heart that this is it. You will never see them again. Look back. Look well. You will never see them again. And I fought that voice inside. No, no. I will see them. What have we done? I mean, how do you be born somewhere? You have friends, people love you, and then they want to kill you? It was just like not acceptable how that happened. So I will fight that, and I will make a few steps, and something will say, look back. You will never see them again. And the rosary, it was almost like a clear sign, like my dad is saying, when I'm not here anymore, you know where to go if you need anything. And that was so sad, and I was fighting it, but it was so clear in my heart. So anyway, I went, my mom couldn't even come close to me. It was so hard to say bye. You live there all your life. 
She couldn't come close. She's just watching from a little bit far. Whew. And I went to this man, and this man put me in a bathroom, small bathroom, three by four feet. I remember looking at that place and thinking, this is too small for me. I can't even lay down here. I can't stretch my legs. One meter by one meter and a half. Well, as I was complaining, he went back and brought five more women. <laughs> Later, he brought two more women. That taught me another big lesson. When you think things are bad, they can get worse. <laughs> so whatever you're going through, just take it easy, calm, and look for solutions. But blaming, complaining, it does not help one bit. So I am there, and now we are literally sitting on the top of each other. The youngest was seven years old. The elder was 55 years old. We have to sit on top of each other. The man told us not to speak to one another, not to make any noise, not even to flush the water of the bathroom. I said, somebody else is flushing the water in the next bathroom. So we sat there. The first three days went by. He was able to bring us food, not the good food, but not, you know, he didn't want to give us that, but that what he could afford to give us. He brought us the food from the garbage where his children put it, and not too much. Food they mashed in the mouth and threw there. It was horrible to see, but you have to survive. And I was so picky in my family. So we sat there, and remember at the end of the week, he came to give us the food. I have had so many emotions, I couldn't take it. I grabbed his foot and I spoke. And we have not spoken all the time. In that bathroom, we never spoke. It was only reading emotions from the face. That's how we spoke. So I grabbed him and I spoke to him. I said, can you put a radio outside so at least we know what's going on? He was kind. He's like, shh. He went out. He put different radios, different channels, different corners so we can hear from all perspective what was going on. I couldn't believe what was going on in the country. The leaders of the country, who used to tell us to be good to one another, they were out there to call people to kill everybody of my tribe. Not anymore hiding behind the private radio. The government ministers were on radio saying, I remember one of them especially, he went on radio and he said, do not forget the children. A child of a snake is a snake. And I'm like, who said that? This is a man who had a PhD. This is a man who was, who, who, who was smart. How can he do that? That's really when I realized also, somebody said the heart is smarter than the head. I am so grateful for the Catholic schools, for schools that are based on religion, because if you grow your brains without having values that lead that brain what to do, this can only damage, can destroy. If you have the heart, then you can really use what you have learned for the good. So they gave order to go out. They went, they reported people they killed in stadiums where they pushed people to go and they would throw bomb grenades and blow up everybody, shoot them. One of them, my brother died in one of the stadium. And they would go to churches where people run to, hoping nobody can touch anyone running to the church, like before the previous wars. They would go and make holes, put fire, and burn everybody in the church. It was bad. And they were giving prices to people who killed more people. I'm like, what happened to people? 
So the wars for us, they gave order to start killing, searching in every home to see if anyone was hiding. You think it was bad to be in one room for a week, but to know that somebody's going to come to hunt for you, it was the worst pain I have known. I remember the first time they came, I was stretching, and I saw this through this tiny window, something I thought was a thousand people. They were dressed in banana leaves, they had all kinds of arms, they have machetes, long spears, just banana leaves all over to try to scare people. They came inside and started to search everywhere. In that moment, and this is what they did in every village, they hired like four, three to four hundred people to go home by home every day and come back to see if anyone is hiding. I remember what went through my mind when they came to search. It was like, you know, it was like dying and you are not dying fully. Like you are laying down in, a, in fire and you are not burning fully, and yet you are burning. Like a thousand needles are going through your body and they're not finishing you. Why am I not dying fully, and yet I'm dying? Then I remember feeling like I had two voices over my shoulders. And one voice is telling me, open the door, end the torture. It's too much, you can't take it. That is not like a strange voice. That is like you being reasonable, but always telling you to discourage you, end it, push it, push you. Then on the other hand, I felt like something inside of me, something was telling me, do not open the door. Ask God to help you. Remember who God is? God is almighty. You know what almighty means? It means he can do anything. Even if they see you, they might not be able to touch you. Even if they touch you, they might not be able to see you. So you have every reason to ask God to help you. It's not about how too late God can make a miracle. And I really started to feel hope. Okay, that's true. And then I felt like the body voice, of course, is still there too. Stop about that. You think God is here? All these things are happening. Innocent people are dying. And you think there is God really? He doesn't exist. You think all this would happen if God was there? And you think even if he was there, he would care about you? Who are you? There are many people who are dying. And I really accepted it. Again, because I thought, this is like me being reasonable. And I said, oh my gosh, I wish God was there, but how did I do it before to believe him? Because I believed him. But where is he? Can you talk to him now? Is he here? Do you have to go to church? Do you have to be here? It was just a completely confusion. And I remember the nicer voice, something told me, if you are not now doubting your faith, at least ask God to help you. Ask him to give you a sign that he can hear you. You might not understand his ways or what's going on about the world. You are only human, what do we know? But at least ask him for a sign that he's here so that you can ask him to keep helping you if you know. I didn't have much time to think about it. I remember turning to the nicer voice and wanting now to follow that voice. And I remember asking God in my heart, not as a Christian, not as a Catholic, from a creator to a creator. And I remember asking him with all my heart, if there is somebody who made this ground I am standing on, if there is somebody who created me, if there is somebody who made this skin, if there is somebody 
who control my breath. I am begging you, do not let the killers find the door of the bathroom. If they don't find it today, I promise you, I will never doubt you again. I might not know what, how you do things. I will ask you to explain, but I will never doubt your existence. Just one sign. I know, innocent people are dying, but all I know is just a sign that even if I die, at least there is hope. After I said that, I fainted. I didn't hear nothing until about five hours later, the man who was hiding us, he came to the door, opened, and told us what happened. He said they have left as we jumped, we thought it was the killers. So he came, they came inside the house, they made a circle around the house to make sure no one jumps out of the window. Another number went in every room of the house. This is only four bedroom. It wasn't like it's too big, too big. They went in every room, under the beds, in the closets. They went in the ceiling with flashlights to make sure there is nobody hiding there. They went on the roof of the house to make sure there's no one laying there. They opened suitcases to make sure there's no babies hiding in that. At last, after going everywhere, closet under the beds, they came right to the door of the bathroom. One of the killers touched the handle. And before he opened it, he turned around and told the man, he said, you know what, we trust you. You are a good man. You are one of us. You cannot hide these bad people. There is no one here. And they turned around and left. When the man told us, he, I remember he said, I don't know how you are praying, what you are praying about, whatever you are doing, keep doing it. <laughs> the, the shocking part of that moment, it wasn't that, oh nice, we are saved. The shocking part was, oh my God, God is real. He heard me in the bathroom, not even in the church. <laughs> and then I thought, I didn't talk. I only thought from inside. So he read my words. He, he read my thoughts. He read my intentions. So it's, tr it's true what our priests tell us, that God is everywhere. But on the other hand, a little bit scary, I realized, he really sees everything we think about. I thought, we don't have any privacy. He's <laughs> everywhere. That's a little bit scary. <laughs> to know that there's no one moment he doesn't know. No one thought he doesn't know. But what it did to me that time, that day, I started to speak to God as I'm talking to you. I will be angry and I will tell him, well, I have a good reason to be. You know what's going on with me. Okay. But Again, another thing I did, I asked the man to give me the Bible who was hiding us because I wanted to read about this God I almost lost faith in and it's the only thing I had I can run to. So I started to read the Bible. I took the rosary my father gave me. I started to pray because I remembered Our Lady now used to tell us, pray your rosary every day. So I prayed, I read the Bible. Few things I will never forget in the Bible I was searching for. I wanted to know, why did you create me? I would have loved not to be here. Why did you create us? I felt like the answer was there. I'm reading from Genesis. The answer was there because I loved you. 
Why does a parent want to have a baby? Because they want to love him, to love her, to love that baby. That's all. Not because you have plans like this baby will do this or will go through this. You forget about that because of so much love. I love you. Okay, so how long am I supposed to stay here as human beings? Well, let's say you stay 100 years. This is life on earth. So uh, what about after? Where do people go? Look in the Bible. There is a paradise. There is heaven. And it is up to you what you do here in those years you spend here that you can live in a paradise for eternity. I remember taking a pen, going on a paper, drawing 100 years and starting to compare it to eternity. And eternity goes like this and this and doesn't end. And I'm like, I mean, I'm a student. I know how to count. <laughs> this is too small. This is so big. Why do I care so much about the small one, not about the big one? And the big one, I can really use this small one to take me to a nicer place in these big billions and zillions of years. And that started to change the way I was thinking about things. Even if people die, as long as they make it to heaven, so what? To a better place than here. So that was changing things in my heart. And then I started to pray the rosary. I never expected what was going to happen through this prayer. By the way, for those who don't know about the rosary, this rosary, the beads, they just represent what prayer to say. Every bead is a prayer you say on that prayer. And it is already organized. You know, they tell you, you just think about this here. And to me, the rosary is the Bible. It's the New Testament. It's the life of our Lord and, and, and our mother, Mary you know, what they lived through here, and think about them, and see how you can get inspired from what they did, how they did handle life. So it was really good. And thank God for whoever who put it together, because he was in a good state of mind. My prayers were, kill them before they kill me. Send them to hell before they kill me, they find me. I thought I was praying. But when I started to say the rosary, it pushed me to say, our Father, who are in heaven, and then say, Hail Mary, full of grace. You know, and then think about Jesus was born because they're part of the rosary. So you had just to put your heart there and make them ring to your heart, make them read the words you're saying. I never expected what was going to happen. One part especially I want to share with you was a part of our Lord's prayer. I prayed the rosary every single day. The first time I prayed it, it was like I moved from hell to a place of air where I can breathe. I just spent 20 minutes praying without thinking about how I'm going to kill people and how they will kill me and how I'm going to revenge to them without being scared. What next time when they come, I can think about good things. By the way, I was angry. The anger I cannot put in words. I will be angry and I would be sweating out of anger. I was angry, and my heart would be racing out of anger. Just the thoughts of what I can do when I come out, I would build my body, and then I would throw bombs all over the country, and I would kill everybody. Because what are they doing to us? And the worst thing with anger, you go through this cycle, and you start again. And then I would get this, and then I would do this, and I was so angry. And when you are angry, you can be very creative. <laughs> about things you can do. So the anger and the fear was just killing me. So when I said the rosary, I was like, oh, 
I can breathe. And then when I stopped, the pans of hell was back. They will kill you. They will rape you. It was like you didn't die. I'm like, no, 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 no. I believe in God now fully. Let me pray. I don't want to hear the bad voice. I kept praying until night. I remember one time I counted how many rosaries I said every single day. From the moment I wake up, I would pick up my rosary and until I go to sleep. I said 27 rosaries every single day and 40 divine mercy chaplet every single day. And I used to complain about saying one rosary a day. <laughs> <laughs> so I am praying this, and I remember a part that changed a lot was our, our Lord's prayer. I remember when I went through this part that said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I couldn't go through that part. It was too much. Any time I said that, it was like a red flag. You are lying to God. You don't mean it. You don't mean it. I'm like, what am I going to do? It was disturbing me. No wonder why they have lie detectors. <laughs> <laughs> Lies don't really fit in the body. It doesn't give you peace. I'm like, ah, oh, again, I know I'm lying. Oh, I'm not saying the truth. And now I know I'm lying to the one who read in my heart. So it's not easy. <laughs> So I kept praying that way until one day I felt like something was reminding me and telling me, hey, you can skip that part. So then you don't have to lie to God. I started to skip the part and I felt much better. <laughs> Forgive us, but not them, and go to the next part. I felt really much better. So I'm praying like that. Now I'm in good terms with God. I feel good until one day I was about to skip that part again. I felt like something was nodding my shoulders and something is reminding me, hey, I hope you know our Lord's prayer is not man-made. It's Jesus himself who gave those words. Look in the Bible. If I were you, I wouldn't try to edit his prayer. <laughs> I was so mad. It's funny, we like to be right even when we are wrong. I was disappointed to know the truth. No, I can't. Oh, so what do you tell God? He didn't know what he was saying. It doesn't fit in the God we know. If he said that and he's God Almighty, he must have known it's possible. He didn't say some people pray this way, other people don't because you went through the worst thing. Pray this way. I can say this laughing today, but that time, my whole world was crumbling. I went on my knees and completely surrendered everything to God. I put my hands up and I begged God, if you know how to forgive, help me out. I don't know how to do it. I am angry and I think I have a good reason. But if you say that, you are God, I'm a human being. I can be wrong, you can never go wrong. So you must be right. But how do I forgive? I don't know. If I tell you I forgive, I will be lying to you. But I know maybe it's possible if you say that, we should pray that way. Anytime I'm praying that part, I will remind God, I have not forgiven, but I will put it back out of obedience to you and pray as you said. But please help me because I don't mean it and I don't know what to do about it. That was maybe the best prayer I ever said, to ask God, to be humble in that moment to ask, help me, help me. And I wish I can do that all the time, but there are moments you come to that, and it was so good. 
So I prayed, I felt much more peace and very humbled, weak, you know, defeated with your own pride. I kept praying that way between us. I never thought God would ever find a way to make me forgive somebody who is killing my mother, somebody who is trying to kill my father. How? And I knew God makes sense. It's not, faith makes sense. It's not just like, oh, you just have to do it because I said so. There is a reason. There is how your heart can feel it. So I remember I was praying one time, the fifth sorrowful mystery. I'm watching Jesus on the cross. His mother is there. He's dying. And I remember just like taking it from the Bible to the reality, not how I see it in the pictures and the movies. And he must be so hungry. All day he was being beaten, persecuted, and tortured. They caught him early in the morning. He didn't eat. He must have been shaking. He must have been sweating. He was going through so much pain. And then it's one thing to go through pain. It's another to go through it when your mother is watching you. And it's another thing to see a mother watching her son. The pain that was there was overwhelming. And then I'm thinking, I'm still in the bathroom. But them, they, he's going to die. So I started to lose that self-pity I had on me. I'm like, you know, I'm still hiding at least, and I really felt bad for them. And I remember in my heart asking Jesus, why did you go through this? Why did you have to live 33 years? You could have saved us in one word, one day. Why did you go through this long? I felt like our Lord was speaking back. Because I loved you. Because I cared for you. Because I wanted to show you, if ever you go through anything I went through, close to what I have seen, I wanted to show you what the world might offer. But if you ever go through any pain, close to what I have gone through, remember I was there before you. Learn from me. What did I do? Did I kick people? Did I want to kill them? Did I curse them? Learn from me. I am with you. You know now there is heaven. Even if this ends, there is heaven much better than the world. Learn from me. And I really felt good just by that. And then I remember I keep reading his words and thinking about them. It was like I was right there on the cross wrapped around him and his blood is falling. I'm like, I'm asking him, please hide me under your blood. I'm, you know, I'm wrapping in my, you know, my meditation. And I'm right there. And I remember when he said his last words when he was about to die. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. I knew those words before. I have thought about them before. But this one moment, it was like a thunder in my heart. They don't get it. It wasn't the first part that touched me. It was the second. People are trying to kill you. They don't get it. They can't even measure the consequences that will come to their lives, will come to the life of their children because of what they're doing. What will happen to the country? They don't think about the pain you're going to go through. And you, competing with them, trying to be worse killer than them, it does not help. Pray for them to change. They don't get it. Why we don't get it? They are blinded by hatred. That's what happened to all of us. When we step into selfishness, me, my thing, only, and, and who cares about any other person, we become unkind. We get blinded. And soon or later, we realize what we did and we regret it. But nobody regrets loving somebody. 
Nobody regrets forgiving somebody if you truly forgive them in a true way. Love always conquers no matter what. So when I felt that, I'm like, okay, I can see that. Now I can really get it. You're right. Why would anyone want to kill a baby and think he's doing something right, like he's killing an enemy? So something went wrong, and that is what anger and hatred does to the hearts of people and to their brain, really. And then I remember I still had something. I can forgive them, but I think they will go to hell anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and they deserve to be there, but I forgive them. It's okay, you know, I forgive you, but you will go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and then I felt like Jesus was telling me, it doesn't stop there. Forgiving is much more than that. You have to love. And I felt that he was reminding me and asking me something I want to ask you, especially adults here. Who among us have not said one thing or done one thing? And all of a sudden, a week later, a day later, or 10 years later, you remember what you did, and you go like, what's wrong with me? How can I do that? How can I say that to that person? How can I take that action? That was mean, that was bad. I feel like Jesus was asking me, look in your life. Do you have things where you ever change? And when you're doing something, you feel like you're okay, and then like, when you remember, you regret, you realize it was wrong. And I look in my life, yeah, I go to confession really often. No matter how much I try to do good, I still have things I should have done. Or I didn't have, you know, I, I should not have done. And when I remembered I have things I change, that's when I realized anybody has a chance to change. Who am I to say somebody who killed is evil? He can never change. And I felt like Jesus was saying, as a parent, I am crying. For my children, I am losing. As a parent, every single person is mine. Just like a parent would have one child who would become bad. As a loving parent, what do you do? Do you forget your child? You cry over them. You feel bad about what they do. And I felt like Jesus was asking me, if you are a good sibling, what would you do if your brother had become bad to please your father? Will you want to kill your brother so then he can disappear forever? Or as a good sibling, you will go to the brother and say, hey, change, stop hurting dad. Stop hurting mom. Be better. You will make them happy. That's what a good sibling would do. When I saw that, I realized even the killer has a chance to please God. And I have to do something about it. I have to pray for them. If I love my, my father God, if I confess to do that, then I have to do what he asked for, because he is real. He's not just an idea, he's real. If he loves everybody, he hurts for those who behave bad. I started to pray for the killers, and that's really when I felt true forgiveness in my heart. I felt compassion for them. I felt like the world was divided in two parts, a part of love and a part of hate. And a part of love where people like you, people who try to do good, a part of love has people like Mandela, people like Gandhi, people like Mother Teresa, and a part of hate are people like Hitler. And then I feel like Jesus is saying, where do you want to be? With Mandela, with Mother Teresa, or with Hitler? And of course, you have to choose. You can't be in two parts at one time. You have to choose to be on the side of love or on the side of hate. 
And guess what happened to people who are on the side of love, at least most of them? They have hurt. They have known injustice. They have known suffering. But no matter what has made them suffer, they will never become what has hurt them. They will fight for peace. They will stand for truth. They will stand for love, no matter what they have gone through. These are the true witness who will bring the people on this side and move them here, who will love those who have hurt them. When I saw that, I didn't have a choice. And what that did to me, because it truly was from my heart, I felt like a huge luggage was lifted from my shoulders. I felt free. I felt like now I can dream. I felt like a veil was unveiled. Now I can look in the future. I can have hope for tomorrow because I am free. I'm not going to be planning who to hurt, who to revenge to, as long as I have God. I remember in that bathroom, I had a dream about our Lord, Jesus. And I remember, I said the rosary all day, I would feel like I'm laying down on the lap of Our Lady all day, holding her tight like a mother. I felt her hands over me, like she's just like crying with me <clears throat> and comforting me. So I would be always holding on to her. But when I fell asleep, I dreamt about Jesus, not about Our Lady. And yet during the time, I would be holding to, to, to Our Lady. So when I had this dream, among many dreams I had, and I wrote this in many of my books, our Lord came to me in a dream. And I remember he was like he was on the cross. He was dressed like he was on the cross. He was skinny and he was sad. And he said, my child, when you come out of this bathroom, you will find out that everyone in your family will be killed. But if you continue to trust me and to love me, I will be with you and I will do for you more than what your parents could have been able to do for you. And I remember in the dream I said, well, if you can take care of me, who else do I need? Because it was so happy and so nice. When I woke up, I said, what? I said yes to that? I could have asked him to save them. And I started to think, oh, no, it is just a dream. Who said I dream things that happen? Well, we ended up staying in that bathroom for three months, from April until July. From April until July. When we came out the very first day, I found out everybody in my family I left behind was killed, everybody. I found out my mom was killed, my dad, my two brothers, my grandma, my grandpa, my uncles, my aunts, my neighbors, my schoolmates, my best friends, everybody was killed. It was like end of the world. A million people was killed in a period of three months, and everywhere was dead bodies. Rwanda is a small country. Many times I wanted to die and crush just and go, but I felt like many times there was a giant hand of God and something was holding me strong and reminding me, do not crush, I am with you. Don't die, talk to me, ask me for whatever you want. I felt like God was reminding me, our life ends. It ends in a genocide or it will end any other time and you don't know how long you have on this earth. No one of us here have a guarantee of one more day. But we take it for granted, of course. Sometimes we pretend that we won't die. And I felt like God was saying, whatever time you have here, it might be a week, a year, maybe 60, 80 years, but it is up to you how you choose to use it. 
to love or to hate, to do good or to do bad, to be kind or to be mean. But if you choose to love, I am with you. Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you. And I wish I could have time to tell you how many things that happen after. You know when God gives you, when you have nothing, it is the best thing ever. Because you realize it was truly him. It wasn't your connection. It wasn't your efforts. It was truly true prayer, him who gave it to you. Soon after, I got a home to live in from the refugee camp because there was nothing. Everything was destroyed. Soon after, I found a job with United Nations. Four years later, I moved to United States, working with United Nations. And in 2006, I had to resign the work of the United Nations to start doing this because I have wrote my first book. And every single thing to this day I do, I go on my knees, I pray my rosary, and every day, because Our Lady have asked us, pray your rosary every day. And I ask Our Lady to pray for me. And I ask our Lord, help me. Anything I truly, I might need a friend, I ask our Lady, help me. I need a friend. Pray with me and pray for me. And I remember in 2006, just to show you again the power of God we have here. I remember when I was publishing my book, I never knew how to publish books. And my, I never thought I could even write a book. So my friends encouraged me. They told me, you know, when, when we hear your story, we wish we could have it in a book. And I used to laugh at them. I'm not a writer. Anyway, one time, I wrote the book. The first draft took me three weeks. Second draft took me three months. And I went through it, correcting, and that bad voice was back. Who do you think you are? You can't write a book. Stop writing. And I will listen to the voice, because it sounds like you. And then when I'm praying, something will come in, a nicer voice, and something will remind me, just go and do your part. Finish what you can do. And complain later that you don't have a publisher. <laughs> yeah. That much better. So I went and wrote the book, my capacity. I had to fast to say my rosary every day. I went to mass as much as I could in a week, not just Sunday. I fasted. I did as much good as I could. For gave everybody and asking God to help me. Just show me the next step. What do I do? I had a fantasy. So funny. I had one fantasy. I wanted to see my book in Banzanobo. I don't know why. But how do you get from the computer to Banzanobo? I didn't know how. <laughs> so three days later, I finished writing the book. I went to a workshop, a little bit like this. And remember, I came out. There is a man in a corner. And there's a long line going to him. I've been praying for three months, and this is three days later. I mean, I'm sharing with you just to show you the power of God in our lives and, and of our prayer. And things don't happen for me all the time so quickly. But this is what happened that time. So there's a long line going to the man, and people are coming out from meeting him, laughing and crying. And I remember thinking, what is he telling people? Something said, well, you can join and see. So I joined the line just like that randomly, to see what he's telling people. When I reached about 10 people, I realized that everybody had a book. They were going for the man to autograph his book. So I don't know what he writes about, who he is, what am I going to tell him? I wanted to run, and something was like, buy a book and pretend to know what you're doing. <laughs> God is amazing. So I wrote, bought his book, never think I would even read it, just to be able to save my face. 
I went in front of him. He signed the book, and I want to go before he asked me why I bought that one. So before I left, he pulled me. He's like, how are you? I said, I'm fine. And then he said, where did that accent come from? This is New York. I said, um, I didn't know I had an accent, but <laughs> <laughs> I told him, I told him I'm from Rwanda, and his face lit up. He's like, do you know what happened there? <laughs> I said, I know, but everything is good now, and I want to go again. He pulled me. He's like, where is your parents? Are you Tutsi? Are you Hutu? Are you this? He knew so much about the country. So I had to tell him, like in a minute. After I told him, he looks at me again, and he said, what makes you smile after all you have seen? I told him, well, your life doesn't end here. I just hope I do my part because I know all of us will die anyway. He looks at me again and he said, have you thought about writing a book? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, yeah, I couldn't tell him, yeah, I finished three days ago. <laughs> I'm like, uh, actually, I started, I thought about that. I'm like, who is asking me three days after? I was praying and asking God, literally asking God. I did my part. This is the best I can do. Let me see you do yours. <laughs> this is what I did three days before. Put my book in an envelope and put it there. So I couldn't talk. I, tell him, I thought about that. I started, and he looks at me. He's like, if you can find a way to tell people how you can be yourself, after what you went through, I am sure there is something that strengthens you. And I promise I will publish your book when you write it. I'm like, who are you? How do you know how I published book? I'm holding his book. Well, we exchanged contacts with this man. If some of you maybe know him, his name is Wayne Dyer. Never knew who he was. So I went home, I have his number. I waited for a week because people told me who he was. He can really help, he's a very big author. So I waited for a week. For me, it was like a year. So I called him, I told him I finished the book. <laughs> he's like, in a week? <laughs> so anyway, I told you, lies don't work. <laughs> you better say the truth from the beginning. So I told him what happened. Look, I, I came there, it was three days. It, it was too quick for anyone to ask me. I told you, you'd think I'm a magician, something. <laughs> so anyway, he understood. I sent him the book. And long story short, this man helped me to publish the book eight months later. He had introduced me to his publisher, to his editor, and the book came out. I remember it came out on Ash Wednesday, a randomly date they just picked. And for me, I was like, it's a sign of God. <laughs> Two weeks later, it was a New York Times bestseller. I didn't even know. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much. I didn't know what that meant. I had to find out the hard way. What a blessing it was. And this book so far, it had been translated in more than 40 language, languages around the world. It had been a huge blessing. But a bigger blessing is that it have helped me to make a foundation, left to tell where I proceed of my books, goes to, and it helped people from countries that are going through wars. In Rwanda, in Liberia, in South Africa, we have built a school there too, in Liberia, in Rwanda, and it is paying schools for kids who are going through hard time 
poor children, orphan, orphans, it is a, such a joy to be able to help others who are going through something. You know how it hurts. However, the more you help, you realize the need is so big, so it is not something you can be so proud of. But I am grateful when I see people who have been touched by my story, when I hear people from Japan telling me, my dad have helped them to be a better dad. I'm like, my dad inspiring somebody from Japan and you from Africa? It has been a joy. I see people from Argentina, from different, every corner of the world who tell me, your mom have inspired me to be a better mother. Your parents have inspired me. Your brothers have inspired me to be a better person. And it is such a joy. But one thing that really was, for me, the biggest gift, it allowed me to start writing about things I love, to spread the things that I know they are so important for every human being. And one of them is to spread the power of the rosary. A friend of mine, I love the rosary as you can imagine. A friend of mine who is a protestant, one time she was going through a hard time, and she told me, she asked me, do you think I can say rosary too? I know you always tell me how many miracles that happened before you say the rosary. And I'm a protestant, but do you think God would hear me if I say it? I said, of course, even more for you, because you are new. He will hear you more. So she told me, okay, teach me. Her brother was being deported the next day back to Rwanda. And they were in Belgium. So I told her the rosary on the phone. All night she said the rosary. The next morning she called me after they saw the judge. She said, immaculate, you won't believe what happened. All of a sudden, the judge became our best friend and gave the papers to my brother. She told me, I don't promise you to be Catholic, but I will say the rosary all my life. <laughs> to this day, my friend still said the rosary. She's the one who made me do this silly, like pray it and meditate and, and do exactly as you did with me. So then I can tell my brothers, I can tell people, my Protestant brothers and sisters, they will pray it too if they knew. So anyway, I made this and I seen that people have used it even Catholic because it's a rosary prayer. Is anyone here who is Protestant, who is not Catholic, who is not Catholic, who is willing? Somebody behind there, she put her hands up. Come here, this is your gift, come. Come here. God bless you. Thank you for willing. And pray for me. God will listen to you quicker. <laughs> God bless you. You too. Another thing I continue to spread is called Seven Sorrows Rosary. As you see this rosary, this one, I get them from Rwanda. And they have seven Hail Marys. It has seven sorrows as a mysteries. Our lady told us in the Kibeho, she's the one who told it to, to one of visionary. But she said it existed, but people have forgotten about it, many people. And she said, I want the whole world to say it. She said, we need it more than ever today. And I have seen three, three kind of miracles happening through people who use this rosary. And she told us, say it every day or at least Wednesday, no, Tuesdays and Fridays, if you can say it every day. I put it on a CD also with the meditation our lady gave us and the visionary who was receiving it and approved by our church. So three miracles I have seen happening. People who have been trying to conceive, to have babies, who have been trying so hard for many years, 
never been able, and all of a sudden, it happened after they devote themselves to this prayer. I have like 15 cases of people. One couple told me they conceived the day we met and they started to say this rosary. So seven months later, the doctor is checking when through their, what was going on, when they must have conceived. The day we met, it was the day they conceived. Later I found out they called their child Immaculate, my name. I'm like, no, call it Mary, not me. <laughs> This is the grace of God, not mine. Please, don't do that. If you call her immaculate, make sure it is about immaculate conception, not about me. <laughs> so another big miracle I hear, I have seen, again, as you know, prayer is not magic, it's your faith. But Our Lady did give us these promises, so I can really stand here and tell you with conviction that this is true because Our Lady told us these promises. So another big miracle that has been happening are people who have healed from addictions. And many people, I never knew there are so many addictions. And from people who have been saying this, people have been healed from addictions. Like I said, it is your faith, but you continue to pray. Ask Our Lady, pray with me, pray for me, please. And you, you really go there, you think about the, her pain, what she went through with her son. Put yourself in their place. Have compassion on them. Pray with them. You will see. God will answer you. Another big miracle I have heard is people who, who heal from different sicknesses. I remember one lady told me, she said she healed from stage four pancreatic cancer. Stage four. I, caught, I told her, I said, can I share with people? She said, oh yeah, you can. And then I told her, well, don't worry, I will not tell them your name. <laughs> so people will not bother you, they will know who you are. And she said, oh no, give them my number. <laughs> I want everybody to ask me, and I want to send them to my doctor. I promise God I'm going to be a witness. Completely healed. So I believe that again by the grace of God, people can heal. Is anyone who is trying to have a baby? <laughs> <laughs> you are, God bless you. This is yours, both of them. Uh, God bless you. Thank you, honey. I pray for you. That is so good, that is so good. One time I shared that rosary, my goodness. There was a man in the group here, like this, and then he came after I spoke. He said, I heard what you said on the rosary. I said, oh good, nice. So it means you're going to spread it and help our lady, good. He said, no, me and my wife, we have seven children in nine years. <laughs> in nine years. <laughs> And then he said, I just told my wife, I don't want to see that rosary. <laughs> Seriously, blame the rosary. <laughs> that was so funny, oh my gosh. But I'm sure he's an apostle, he's an apostle for a lady. Anyway, there's this one, this one I will not give it away, but it is, I have one myself. It is a rosary of the seven sorrows. I wear also, and you can wear it. It is done in sterling silver and stones, like I think semi-precious stones, and it's a little bit expensive, but I buy them from somebody, and 100% of what I get, not one penny comes to me, 100% of what I get from this, I give it to my foundation. Not even just the foundation. I help people I know they need help. Sometimes a lot of money goes through the foundation, but there are some cases you just can't post till through any foundation. 
because somebody have a different kind of pain. So I meet that a lot coming from Rwanda in a country that is poor. I meet many different situations. Sometimes I don't have to pass through any foundation, and that's okay. So anyway, 100% goes through to my foundation. And our lady in Kibeho, she used to tell us to wear the rosary. Sometimes people say here, no, we don't wear the rosary. She told us, wear it, but say them. And she told us, always have somebody, something on you, bless it. It is a sign to the devil that you belong to God, that you belong to me. So she encourages us to say the rosary and to have it on, but to say it. The more you say it and it is blessed on you, the more power it gets over you. So for us, it definitely encouraged us. Anyway, I have them, like I said, this for those who will get it. Thank you for helping my, my charity. It is such a great joy to be here. And one thing I want to, to mention, Our Lady showed us so much love in Kibeho, so much love. Please, as you know, she is our mother. I pay her attention. She used to tell us, make a room in your house, in a corner. Somewhere you have a statue, you have the Bible, you have your prayer cards, you know, and she would say, talk to me. Tell me anything that is bothering you. Take time to talk to me. Don't assume that I know. Tell me in details and converse with me. And she would tell us, I will heal your heart. She's really loving. I mean, I have just like, felt a little bit of what I have seen and through the visionaries, how I ask them, how they... She's loving, she speaks so nicely. They all say, when you are around Our Lady, you don't want to be anywhere else. It is a fulfillment of joy when you are around her. And she is the same around us, even when we're not around her, but we know she's with us. So please speak to her, she's such a good mom. I heard a joke that is funny. This is the last one. <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing to show you, and that is a mother I really met through that through the visionaries. They, this one is a joke. They said how Our Lady one time, Our Lord, in heaven he was walking around and there are so many people coming in heaven. And then he went to Peter and he said, Peter, he's the one who has the key of, the, of heaven. Like, are you checking these people well? Why there is such a big number in heaven today? So Peter said, my Lord, I am screening them well. But your mother opened the back door. <laughs> that is the mother. In some way, there's a truth to that. That is the mother I got to know in Kibeho. A mother who will cry with you, who will cry for you until you change, and she will make sure you get to heaven. It is such a great to be here with you. Truly, truly a joy. It is beautiful to see you. I know the Holy Spirit is with us. Our lady is here. She used to tell us, Kibeho is not a place. It is everywhere you speak about me. And wherever you speak about me, I am among you. So I know she touches you. She wants us to be happy. Please be joyful. Have peace in your home. She used to tell us, be loving in your voice, in the tone you, used to, you choose to use. In your words you choose to use, be kind, be loving to people around you. Change your heart. Say prayers that change who you are from inside. So it is so good to be with you and to be able to share all that. And before I go, I want to remind you, I know all of us, we have our own troubles. We all have our own concerns. We have our own bathrooms. And I want to remind you, we live through our own, small, big, 
But I want to remind you, no matter what happens to you, please hold on to God. There is always hope. There is always hope. Do not give up. God is almighty. And I want to remind you, and I have gone to the prison to forgive somebody, to show, to tell him, at least I forgave him, somebody who killed my family. I want to tell you, please, if I can forgive, anybody can forgive. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, just, just a couple closing remarks. What a wonderful, what a wonderful witness from Immaculate this evening. Thank you all for coming.